The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast shares of NVIDIA jumping in the after hours. The company just reporting results in the last few minutes. A conference call just kicking off right now. We'll get you the headlines and all the details. Plus, are we getting more hawk talk from the Fed? The latest minutes from the central bank showing growing support for a 50 basis point hike next month. So will the markets finally come to terms with the higher for longer mantra? And later, Apple's big health push, the company taking another step to make its wearable technology a must-have. The major step forward it is making and what it could mean for the stock. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Karen Feiderman, Dan Nathan, Courtney Garcia, and Guy Adami. We start off with the big question for big tech investors. Is AI all it's cracked up to be? After Microsoft announced its multi-billion dollar investment in ChatGPT maker OpenAI in late January, shares rallied almost 20 percent. The stock added about $300 billion in market cap. But that rally has blown a fuse over the last week or so as creepy interactions with the bots started surfacing. The stock has given back nearly half of its gains. Meantime, shares of Alphabet down nearly 15 percent since its own AI blunder at the start of this month. The company has lost over $200 billion in market cap. And now more headwinds seem to be emerging. ChatGPT reportedly getting blocked on Chinese social media apps. Maybe not so much of a surprise there. And new analysis shows AI-powered search could cost tech giants billions of dollars more than traditional keyword searches. So is it way too early to say whether AI is big tech's next big thing. Certainly investors wanted to jump all over it, Dan, yeah. when we first heard about it. Well, there was a lot of hype, right, over yeah. the last couple of months. And I would just say this, that it is probably the next big thing on a whole host of different industries. And what we're talking about right here is really the digital ad market. This is a $500 billion market. When you think about search and you think about Google's dominance there, they have about 84% or so. Microsoft has this thing called Bing. You've never used it. I've never used it. But someday we might use it, right? And you think about their growing um, advertising um, revenue. You know, they had about $18 billion that was maybe up uh, almost 100% year over year last year. And I think Microsoft, when they unleashed this open AI or this chat GPT a couple weeks ago, they said for every 1% market share, that would be an additional $2 billion to their search revenue, which is essentially ad revenue. So it is important to them. This is a company that's doing $200 billion in revenue. If you can get that sort of growth across their platforms, and don't forget um, that they just did this deal with Netflix, right, as they added that ad support. So so advertising is going to be really big for Microsoft. Is it important right now? No. And, and again, you know what I mean? Like, and I took the other side of this two weeks ago. I put a bearish position on. I took it off today at 250 or so because I kind of feel like that is the hype that came out of the story. Now, Google 
does have some existential risk here, okay? And I did have a Paris trade. I was thinking about buying the Google, and I did buy it at 94. I sold it actually a week and a half later at 94. I do think this is going to continue to weigh on the story from a sentiment standpoint. Yeah, what do you th- I mean, I, I feel like that there's a period of time here where adoption is not there yet, so we haven't seen the efficiencies. Yeah. Co- the cost of a of search for an AI-powered search is five times more, according to Morgan Stanley, for an alphabet. Mm-hmm. So until we get those efficiencies, we're going to be faced with higher costs. Costs, And are we right. going to get the revenue to offset that? from ads in the meantime. So there's sort of a transitional period here. Right. Are we in that period? And I get, well, the question is, you know, the penalty to the stock is saying, well, okay, either costs will be higher or the lose share or both. Or, mm-hmm. um, but this idea, I mean, this hype around AI, as if AI did not exist at all in Google or anything else. I mean, if you think about Google search, you know, image search, things like that, that's all AI. So we have this giant catch-all phrase that is worth billions of dollars. I agree with you that Microsoft was just way overhyped, came back in. Google did not at all. Um, you know, I like it. I think that a lot of fear is, play, is, is priced in. I think we're going to have a lot more clarity on some other issues that face Alphabet mm-hmm. before that, including we have Section two, uh, 230 coming up, I don't know, whenever the court decides to rule on that. And we have some antitrust. So those weigh on it. So, uh, you know, it's a big position for me. I, I still like it. I think um, we're not going to get some clarity on this issue of overhang for a while. Yeah, and you bring up expenses, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing that's overweighing AI right now. And if you look at like a Google, for example, if they used AI for about half of their 50-word responses, that would cost an extra expense of about $6 billion, right? So it's not cheap to do this. And I almost see this as in like the early years of social media. No one really knew what platforms was going to be MySpace or Facebook or whatever it was. It's just so new. And is it going to be the future? I think so. I think it's going to change industries. But in the meantime, I think it's going to cost a lot more and they're going to get out of it. So I think it's too early to be buying stock specifically on this reason. Yeah, the figure you're citing, Courtney, came from that Morgan Stanley report, which I also cited. Yes. And so that you're, you're assuming that it's going to be a 50-word response guy. And of course, if you're like Kevin Roos and you want to engage for two hours, <laughs> I don't know how much that would cost. <laughs> but you figure sometimes you, you're going to get a two-word response. Sometimes you're going to you know, you're going to get some some punk kid who wants to, like, engage with the bat, with the bot for hours on end. And that's going to cost a lot of money. And we don't know that yet. We, we just don't know how this thing is going to be used. Yeah, there are places out in Nevada he could probably go for less and get the <laughs> t- similar type of experience. Now, listen, I mean, for Microsoft is now approaching a two tr- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a $2 trillion company. You know, you wonder um, what AI has to be in order to move the needle to the extent that the stock moved. I mean, when it post earnings, Microsoft was a $233 stock headed lower, quite frankly, and probably deservedly so until people caught wind of this whole chat GBT, AI, and then it ricocheted or, you know, made that meteoric move to 275 or so. This move makes sense. And now we're right back to where we were right after earnings, you know, a month or so ago. So, I think the market got itself overly hyped. And Dan was on it a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's, it holds true now. I think Microsoft was unjustly rewarded for AI, and I think Google is probably being unjustly punished for the same thing. Yeah, and it's truly remarkable to think about this, though. Go back to the turn of the century, Guy. I don't mean 1900. I mean 2000. And back then, you know, Yahoo had dominant 
market share in right. search, right? And it was a, nearly a $400 billion market. It was the biggest company in the world at that time. And Yahoo literally just got sold to private equity for $4 billion um, a, a year ago or something like that. So the idea that Alphabet right now has this 85% search share and that it couldn't go away for one of the most exciting sort of technologies that, yes, was overhyped for a couple of months here, but we've seen this with technology again and again. You have these sort of hype cycles here, and I guess taking it away from digital ads, taking it away from search, if you think about what Microsoft's core bread and butter is, it is their productivity tools and that sort of thing, and think about how you're going to work AI into that. They invested a billion dollars into open AI um, three years ago. They just did $10 billion. Now they are literally ensuring for at least this technology, they are in the pole position with that. They're also getting rebates with the Azure and you know the, the cloud usage. And all, also the other thing is like think about this for their cloud, their public cloud, right. as they integrate some of that technology in there, it could be a differentiator there but also. Do you think, I mean, if we if we saw peak AI hype, have we seen trough AI no, hype? No, but I don't think we because saw peak. I, I just thought, well, listen, can I tell you, broadening it out a little bit, uh, I think what we just saw as it related to Google and Microsoft over the last, call it, month, was kind of the death rattle for this bear market rally we've been in. Because we've seen a lot of goofy stuff happen in the market. And the fact that investors got so excited, I go back to that day. It was February 7th. When I'm looking at my fact set machine, and just after the open, and I see Google, G-O-O-G-L, okay, the, the, the alphabet, was down 6.5% because of their barred thing. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? And it wasn't even a real presentation. And then a couple days later, it comes out that the Microsoft one that went so well, they had a bunch of errors in theirs. And then what's happened since then is probably a lot worse than what happened to Bard. So I just feel it was like a moment in time in this market where things got a little goofy in a market that was totally disconnected from valuation and stories. It seems to me like the, this idea of a 1% shift, let's say, of market wow. share from Google to Microsoft is worth way more to Microsoft than it is to Google, and that doesn't really make sense to me. Uh -huh. I mean, for a long time, Amazon, which was valued on, not on their cloud, but on their retail business, the same thing. A dollar of sales at Amazon was worth way more than a dollar of sales at Walmart, and that is no longer true. So, I mean, valuations get kind of goofy. The, the, it was an interesting piece by Morgan Stanley. By the way, at the end, they do think it's buy with a 135 target right. and downside of 84 and upside of something higher. but. In the short term, I do think we're going to face these headwinds for a while. I mean, there's also the, the regulatory guardrails that could still be placed. I mean, J.P. Morgan, there's a Bloomberg article today saying that J.P. Morgan is restricting the use of ChatGPT because it's a third-party software app. But, I mean, there's, there are unclear things. We, we mentioned the Chinese government banning ChatGPT. That's not a surprise, right? I mean, you were saying on the call, Dan, earlier today, oh, no surprise. Of course, the Chinese government, they cannot censor AI, right, especially AI that was built in the United States. Um, but at the same time, it gets to this notion that AI is only as good as the data you put in. It's only as good as any of the biases that you put in. Whatever the biases may be, as accurate as the information is, and you don't, we don't know that yet, and we don't have the laws to regulate that, and, and we might see those guardrails being put up by corporate America. Well, the irony is that OpenAI was set up by the Technorati out there to create like a safe AI that was going to be open. And it was just right. really in the last few years that you've seen this, um, you know, focus on this subsidiary that was going to be a commercial product here. And so when I think about that, I mean, I think that's the, the like, listen, this is Skynet sort of stuff here. I mean, this is all going to be happening for us. Like, you know, like sci-fi is here and now. And the idea that there has to be some sort of regulatory bodies that are going to be monitoring this sort of stuff. Um, 
you know, that's part of it. Safety is, is probably going to outweigh productivity at some point in the not so distant future as we think about this technology being applied to a whole host of other things. Health. Think about education, yeah. uh, you know, military, um, all these different applications. There's a whole host of things here. So I guess we're just scratching the surface. That's why I pushed back on the peak hype thing. We are going to be talking about this for years to come. Right. And there will be more peaks and there will be yes. more troughs. Yes. Certainly. Um, let's bring in ARK Invest Chief Futurist Brett Winton for more on this. Of course, we have to ask a futurist. Um, Brett, <laughs> I'm sure you've been listening to our conversation and I'm wondering where you think we are in this, I mean, before you, you came on our show and you talked about the, the great future, but right here, right now, are we in this tough transition period? We don't know what the regulatory framework is. We don't know what guardrails corporate America might put up on the use of AI at this point in time. And the cost for search is going to be much higher, at least for right now, as opposed to keyword search. I think that corporate America is going to have to adapt to AI or die. I think that the um, the competitive pressure in the marketplace is going to mean that those companies that aggressively onboard this technology and use the tools to the full extent will outcompete those companies that don't. And so, um, you know, look at the the announcement by Bain and OpenAI that they're going to help Coca-Cola onboard large, large language models into their corporate processes. I think you'll see a lot of announcements like that where companies say, hey, this is a really useful tool and we're going to use it to compete and win. And if you don't, you're not going to win. And if you don't win, you'll go bankrupt. Well, what do you make of this Morgan Stanley report? I don't know if you got a chance to see it, um, effectively saying that keyword searches are about a fifth um, of, a, of a cent and that and that a GPT search, enabled search, would be five times that, roughly. Uh, and so the cost would, would be much more, up to $6.6 billion more for, for Google. And so, you know, how should we think about this in terms of right now, in, in terms of how much more it'll cost to do a search? Yeah, I think it disrupts traditional search. And I think you may even see this will be classic in innovators dilemma if Google says, well, it's a good thing that Microsoft is taking all of this large language model search for us because we can't deliver it profitably. And we'd rather have them handle that unprofitable business. The reality is um, you're moving from a uh, kind of business process cycle where people go to search as a portal to deliver them onto something else. and. Um, get to a spot where they begin to expect answers from an AI engine that's going to be living in the application that they're using. Uh, and so the that the our AI both breaks the, the revenue model and the cost model for traditional search. And so I think it imperils um, Google in its, its current competitive position. Brett, it's Karen. So are you saying that Google is surrendering that search to Microsoft? Well, no, not necessarily, but I'm saying you can imagine a future scenario where Microsoft begins taking share and Google's explanation will be, well, that was unprofitable anyway. These are so expensive to serve. We don't want to serve these these long dialogues between people in the AI agent. It's it's not even providing anything for them. It's just kind of like social entertainment. Uh, and, and that'll be a strong side that they're in the grip of the innovator's dilemma where, where that actually, you know, uh, looks like a near-term rational uh, decision for them to be making, but it puts them into severe competitive distress. 
Hey, Brett, this is Courtney here. Um, we're talking a lot about the future and corporate America really adopting AI. My question to you is how long in the future do you see that, right? Because if we're talking this becoming really adaptable in five years versus one year, it's very different from an investment standpoint because it's not that we're right or wrong, but we could be too early on these things, especially in a time right now where a lot of corporate America is trying to pull back their expenses. So I'm just wondering how soon in the future you see this. Well, as with a lot of disruptive innovation and the kinds of innovations that we invest in, uh, innovation solves economic problems and macroeconomic problems. The fact that corporate budgets are probably under stress right now allows them to evaluate, hey, how can we do more with the same number of employees? How we, can we better service our customers or, or better execute on sales without adding to um, kind of our cost line? And AI provides that solution. So I, I think that the capability of the systems that exist today are already sufficient, certainly in the programming space, to massively improve the, the productivity of your programmers. But across every sector, uh, I, I think that there's the opportunity for productivity delivery to, to corporates. And so, of course, they're going to onboard the technology um, because or else they're going to get outcompeted by somebody else who does. And, and from our perspective, costs here are declining by 3x per year. So it's it's more than twice Moore's law in terms of cost declines. Uh, and so whatever capability exists today, you're going to have 3x the capability times the amount of investment going into it um, a year from now. In fact, over uh, through 2025, we think there's going to be a hundred to thousand fold total capability improvement in AI systems economy wide. Uh, and so it's the equivalent of taking the entire smartphone life cycle, original smartphone to today's, uh, original iPhone to today's iPhone and compressing it into three years in terms of capability advance. So if, if you're not running that race, you're not going to be in the race by the end of this business cycle. I can't wait to see what Sydney's going to be like in, in three years. <laughs> Brett, <laughs> thank you, Brett Winter. Very friendly, I'm sure. Uh, very friendly, <laughs> ARK Invest. Um, Guy, what do you make of this? I mean, it's interesting to think that the efficiencies will be gained over much you know, shorter compressed time period. So when we're talking about increased costs right now, those costs will go down very sharply, very quickly, if Brett's right. Yeah, I didn't know there was going to be physics in this, and I'm not sure who Boyle or his or her law is or was. But listen, that's, that's the bull case, right? It's going to get compressed to such a degree that you want to be betting on these stocks now because the cycle is going to be a lot shorter than people think. And listen, he's a futurist, so clearly he sees something that I don't see. But, you know, I, I, would, I would push back and say I think some of these stocks have gotten way ahead of themselves. We're about to talk about NVIDIA. I'll save it. But... I mean, that's going to be an example right there. But Microsoft, I think, proved that, you know, that run from 230 to 275 or such was not justified. It's getting towards levels that makes little sense in the pre-AI era. All right. Uh, let's get to NVIDIA right now. Shares are popping after beating expectations on the top and the bottom lines. NVIDIA also upping its revenue outlook for the current quarter. Steve Kovac has been listening on the call. It's 17 minutes in. He joins us with the details. Steve. Hey there. Yeah, so more AI for you, Mel. NVIDIA with that beat on the top and bottom lines. You see shares up almost 9% right now. Now, it's the data-centered business that's in focus. That's where all the growth is and where the company is expected to see benefits of this AI boom we've been talking about all hour. Data center revenue was up 11% year-on-year to $3.62 billion, and full fiscal year revenue for that segment up 41% to just over 
$15 billion. CEO Jensen Wang saying in a release, quote, we are set to help customers take advantage of breakthroughs in generative AI and large language models. But the question is, how long will it take for NVIDIA to start seeing the benefits of companies spending more in AI? Meanwhile, some brighter comments about the gaming business, which has struggled in the back half of last year. Gaming revenue for the quarter was $1.83 billion, down a whopping 46% from the year-ago quarter. But Wang saying, quote, gaming is recovering from the post-pandemic downturn. Now, the call's been going on for about 20 minutes. They're talking more AI and more gaming. And I have more for you as it develops, Mel. All right. Thanks, Dave. Steve Kovac. Um, so, what do we, so, Guy, this falls into the category of over its skis. Is that what you're getting at? Well, let me, let me, I'm going to give you a little math here. So this time last year, NVIDIA was trading 225. If you look at the little ticker there, lower third, it's trading 225. So although they beat by seven cents in EPS, EPS is down 33% from the same quarter last year, down 33%. And revenue from the same quarter is down 21%. So clearly declining. The stock's the same price. One has to ask themselves, it was expensive this time last year, it's equally, if not more expensive now. And yes, it is expensive. So good for them. Um, data center just shows that they're better than Intel. Everybody seems to be better than Intel. That's a good thing. But a stock that was expensive this time yesterday is as expensive as it was 24 hours ago. So I'm not quite sure what the market was looking for. I will say that I thought you sell the stock in earnings. That was wrong. Uh, the same way it was wrong to do Facebook. I'll also say that you know, that pop we saw on Facebook lasted a couple days, and now it's sort of finding itself on the way back down. So let's see how this thing plays out, Melms. Well, one big difference again versus a year ago is that rates were at, you know, treasuries that were one and a half for a two-year right. versus almost five. Right. So that obviously puts in multiple. But it's amazing because it's had a big run on this, this AI hype, gave back a little recently, but to be up $20 after that, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I, I do think what was hopeful about this is their gaming, um, I think, was a lot more optimistic than everybody expected. It was gaming and PC sales that I think everybody was really worried about with them, which clearly wasn't as bad as expected. Um, but it's so expensive. It's still trading at 54 times next year's earnings, which in this kind of environment is really not the kind of stock that you're trying to get into. So, yes, it had a good beat. It's still not something I'm jumping into right. early. Yeah, right. And so I'm with you. A uh, half a trillion dollar market cap trading at 18 times sales. So you can quote whatever you want on a multiple of earnings, you know, 18 times sales is pretty remarkable, but then here you go. So Kovac just gave us a couple quotes. I like this quote from Jensen Wang. AI is at an inflection point setting up broad adoption, reaching every industry, all right? And then this is later on in the release, our new AI supercomputer is in full production. I mean, like, so like, think about these sorts of things that like he's saying on the back of this sort of hype. And I think that there's very few pure plays, you know what I mean, in which to do this or express these views in the markets. And I'm not saying this is a pure play, but this release seems to be littered with AI here. It'll be interesting to see when we go back and look how many times he says it on the call and it's in the release. Or in the starting season, how many tech yeah. companies mention AI just yeah. for the buzz of it. All right, uh, coming up, we've got an earnings alert on Lucid Motor. Shares are dropping after results. We'll bring you the numbers out of that quarter next. Plus, crude oil prices dropping back below the $75 mark. What is behind that move and what it means for the stocks? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lucid Motor shares tumbling down almost 9% after Q4 revenue fell well short of expectations. The EV maker blaming manufacturing challenges for low production last year, but it expects to as much as double output in 2023. Phil LeBeau is here on set. With all the details, Phil. But Melissa, you know, their expectation of building between 10 and 14,000, that's the guidance for 2023. Some were expecting it to be closer to 20,000. So that's the reason why you see additional pressure on the shares after hours. Let's run through the numbers for Lucid for the fourth quarter. Another quarterly loss, 28 cents a share. It is thinly covered, so the estimates were all over the place. But revenue was shy of expectation, coming in at $258 million, The street expecting over $300 million. And then you have the Q4 production numbers. Now, they produced just under 3500 delivering just under 2000 And for all of 2022, they didn't even deliver 4,400 vehicles. 4,369 was the total. I had a chance to talk with Peter Rawlinson, the CEO of, um, of Lucid, and I said to him, you know, what, what is the outlook? What is the plan? And he said, we can do the production. I'm, I'm not sure everybody's going to agree with that. He's not worried about production. He's worried about sales. And how do you increase sales? He said that will be a personal uh, mission of his to lead the increase in sales. I said, well, do you have a big marketing plan? Is there some big initiative? And he said, we're going to have to work on grassroots, getting people to talk about it, getting people into the vehicle. I, I don't know if that's enough. I, I, I was hoping that I would hear something a little bit more when I talked with him. We'll see if they come up with something a little more concrete. By the way, you saw their estimate building 10 to 15, 10 to 14,000. That's their plan for 2023. And in terms of cash, that's going to be the question. They've got $4.9 billion. They say that's enough to get them into the first quarter of 2024. So it, that's it where we like are. It's like a, a vicious cycle, Phil. I mean, they, they can do the production, but production would be much more efficient if they gain scale, but they're not gaining the scale. Correct. So they're just in this terrible vortex. And their reservations have gone down. Huh. From you know, they are now at twenty-eight thousand. They were at thirty-four thousand. Now those are non-binding reservations, so it's not like you were counting on them. But you're not pleased to see them going down. You would like to see them at least holding steady, I guess. Right. Um, and and let's not forget, this is a very expensive vehicle. It's rare air when you're getting over a hundred thousand 
for people to spend that money. Yes, those sales are up compared to where they were 10 or 20 years ago, simply because there's more people with the means to afford a $100,000 or more vehicle. But it's still tough. So let me ask you, they uh, talk about the burn saying have enough money till 2024. 2024 is next year. Very first close. Quarter of 2024. First quarter of 2024. I mean, you got to address that burn before you get to the first quarter Correct. of 2024. So, w- what are they thinking? Well, I think they believe that if they can get that scale up and <laughs> if they can get the production and the deliveries to increase, look, they only they, they built over 7,000 for all of last year, but only delivered 4,300. Peter Rawlinson told me and a colleague on the phone, he said, well, you know what, we're, we're still working on getting those deliveries out. A lot of those are in transit. That's still not, I mean, that, that's a big gap there between production and deliveries. So, yeah, they've got their work cut out. So, Phil, 60% of this company is owned by the Saudi Public Investment yep. Fund. And there was a rumor a couple weeks ago yes. that it seemed to be unfounded that they were going to take over the company. So when you talk about burn rate, I mean, I could not think of a, probably a better large investor than the Saudis if they are trying to, like, think about, like, some new sure. industries, that sort of, I don't know. So, so what, do you, what, do you, what do you think about that? I mean, this is a tightly Do I think company. it's possible? Yeah. Yes, I do. And, and why, would it, why would the Saudis do that? Look, this is, for anybody, we were talking before we went on the air. Yeah. The Lucid Air is a spectacular yeah. vehicle. There's no doubt about that. The question is, how do you increase the production? How do you increase deliveries? How do you make a, make a profit on this? Would the, would the Saudis be willing to say, eh, no, okay, we're going to lose some money for a while, but this is a very fine automobile and there's no doubt that Rawlinson and his team know how to design vehicles. They've got another one that's on the drawing boards that we'll hear more about this year. I'm not saying that the Saudis will do it, but I could understand why people would look at that and say, I can see that happening. It just seems like they cannot sell. I mean, you mentioned how many they produce and how many they deliver. There's, so there's about 3,000 that are just hanging around a parking lot ready to be. Not just hanging in a parking lot. Some of them are in transit. Okay, in uh, transit. So, so they're so they going to be built. In transit actually people who will paying them a check for that car. Correct. Okay, so Correct. in theory, the 3,000 plus or whatever it is will Some chunk of that. They, they were not giving us specific numbers in terms of what percentage of that have been committed and they're just waiting to, to take delivery and then cash the check afterwards. Seems like a lot of questions around this one. Yeah, and I think that for Peter Rawlinson, um, they, they've got to come up with something more in terms of how they're going to advance sales. I mean, they've done some marketing, I mean, I've seen the ads, and they're, they're very nice ads. I think the question becomes, do they have to come out with something at a lower price point much quicker? Right. All right. Phil, thanks. Good to be Phil here. Phil LeBeau, nice to see you in person. Get back safely. It's, like, it's awful outside. It's <laughs> outside New York City. Um, Guy Dami, what do you make of Lucid here? Well, I mean, in 2022, they're supposed to deliver 20,000 cars. That continued to get slashed to levels we're seeing now. Um, I think Dan brings up the exact right point. The Saudi Public Investment Fund owns 65% of the company. At a certain level, they're just going to take their ball and go home and probably buy the remainder of this company. It has probably, what, 25% or so of its market caps in cash or investable assets, I would imagine. Probably going to see a huge uh, flush to the downside tomorrow on probably seven or eight times normal volume. I think if you want to play the high-end table here, despite the fact that 
you know, they're challenged in a number of different ways. I think you can buy the stock for a trade for sure tomorrow. It does sound like a, maybe a segment on an options action show or something, Dan. Yeah, Friday's at 530. <laughs> to be on that program. All right, here's the deal. I mean, look at the Rivian. We're talking about cash on hand, cash burn. I mean, this is a $17 billion market cap company with $13 billion in cash, less than $2 billion in debt. And they're making a car that's much more affordable. And you're starting to see more and more um, of those on the road, both the um, SUV um, and the uh, pickup trucks. So, um, interestingly, like these are going to be stories not too different the way Tesla was in 2011, 12, 13. They're going to miss target after target. They're going to push out after push out. They're going to have production delays. They're going to have all this sort of stuff. And so I guess you have to decide whether you think there's going to be multiple players that are not the existing players in Korea and Germany and Detroit, that sort of thing. And so, you know, maybe there's room for others other than Tesla here. I think there is room for others, but they got to be super well capitalized. Yeah. I mean, yeah. having Saudi says that that's a very great thing. But it seems like 2023 will be the year for a lot of shakeout between some companies that are just not going to make it or at least not going to make it on their own. Maybe they'll be acquired by somebody else. I don't know. But uh, with especially with the burn and then the cost of money being so much Higher. more expensive yeah. and than And the competition free. is already here yes. versus Tesla. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Running on empty. Energy heading lower as crude gets crushed. So is the space still worth filling up on? The traders are pumping into the energy space next. Plus, the Fed's fight continues. The minutes are out, and it looks like there could be more rate hikes on the horizon. The latest on the battle against inflation ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Energy under pressure today. WTI falling back below 75 bucks a barrel, posting a sixth straight day of losses. That's its longest losing streak of the year. Nat gas also briefly falling below the $2 mark for the first time since September 2020. It did rebound, though, to post a gain. Energy, the second worst uh, performing S&P sector today. Occidental, Halliburton, SLB among the biggest laggards. Courtney, what do you make of the, the pullback here? Yeah, and I think you're going to see some of this, especially this year. You have going to be getting this big rotation out of energy and into some of your other things like technology, for example. Um, Occidental is kind of interesting. There was actually a big increase in trading volume last week, and there actually is a lot of um, rumor. I mean, nobody knows this tree yet, that actually Berkshire Hathaway may, may be buying a lot more of that. Um, and we'll actually find that out later this week. But I do think... This is something you want to look at is when there's dips like this, I do still see this as a temporary dip. I think longer term this year, just this short term, two months down where energy is down. I don't think you want to extrapolate that out to the entire 2023. And I do think you want to continue to buy some of these dips here. Yeah, I think energy was the common thread across all the trader acronyms uh, for 2023, Guy. Mojo. I had OIH is one of the O's and Oxy is the other O. It doesn't matter which one is which. You get my drift. And <laughs> I think Evercore, somebody downgraded the stock to underperform, but $60 price target, it's basically trading 60 now.
Go and look at the name, though, OXY, 58-and-a-half-ish. 58's held a number of times over the last six to nine months. It's not a valuation story. It just comes down to whether or not you believe operationally they're going to get things done, which I do, and clearly Warren Buffett does as well. To Courtney's point, I think they report on the 27th, so I think there's some catalysts in store. I don't think the energy trade is over. The commodity is challenged, but I don't think the energy trade is over by any stretch. And the nat gas reversal that you just spoke of, Mm-hmm. Carter Braxton Worth has been highlighting that as well. I think NatGas might get on its horse over the next couple of weeks. Karen? Well, I agree with Courtney. I think part of it is this rotation out of what right. worked last year, what was defensive and relatively cheap, um, so people's interest is elsewhere. But I'm actually a little bit surprised. I would have thought, I mean, just this last one day with rates going higher, Forgetting that, that with you, with the idea of recession being somewhat less than it was uh-huh. and China opening up, I'm sort of surprised that we continue to see, I guess, stockpiles were higher. So that was what weighed on it today. But I think it's a decent place to be in the long term. All right. Coming up, the inflation fight continues. Fed minutes out and the battle is not over yet. The details out of the central bank and what to expect at the next meeting. That is next. And Apple making some big strides in wearable health care. The big breakthrough in glucose monitoring when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at how stocks finished the day. The Dow dropping a quarter of a percent, the S&P down just six points, but locking in a fourth day of losses, and the Nasdaq managing to eke out a gain, snapping a three-day losing streak. Shares of TJX down nearly 2% despite a sales beat. The company saying inflation pushed consumers to lower-priced clothing. After hours, we were watching shares of Moderna and Merck. The company is receiving FDA breakthrough status for a personalized cancer vaccine. Karen, you were mentioning TJX. Uh, what yeah, do you think the gross margin was a little bit disappointing. I mean, I, I like TJX. It's not cheap. It's never been cheap. They do a great job. Um, they also talked about a buyback. So I'm hanging on to it. I think that it's somewhat counter-recessionary in that, you know, if there's excess bargains. inventory. Right, it's bargains. And also, I think the uh, slowdown in home sales has hurt the home goods portion of it. Maybe we'll see some bounce back there. But I'm hanging on to it. I like it. All right. Well, the latest Fed minutes indicating more rate hikes are needed to bring down inflation. And our next guest suggests that weakens the case to own stocks. Market forecaster Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research. Um, Jim, great to have you with us. Um, What did you think of the minutes? Did it change anything about how you think the Fed is going to proceed the next meeting? No, uh, the minutes were hyped because Jay Powell said February 1st that he would lay out a detailed plan for how the Fed would pause And when we got there, we didn't really get a detailed plan or whatever plan we got was before a monster payroll report and before an uptick in CPI, and it really doesn't apply anymore. And that set the stage for what we've seen in the last two weeks, and that is a big rise of interest rates, 10-year yields up 50 basis points. The street is coming out now and saying that the Fed is going to raise rates not only in March and in May, but again in June and go to 5.5%. And that is becoming more and more the reality. And the minutes didn't do anything to stop that train that were going beyond the five and a quarter that the Fed was saying would be their terminal or end point just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, the, and I guess there's also the wild card of a 50 basis point hike the next meeting. We know that at least Mester and Bullard were in favor of that at the last meeting. We don't know who else might have been also because the language in the minutes seemed to imply that there could have been another person who is who is in the same camp. But I'm wondering, Jim, if we're just, you know, we're we're not looking at the big picture here, whether there's 50 now or there's an additional 25, the end point is higher. But where do you, how long do you think we will be at that end point? 
No, you're right. I think that, you know, whether we do 50 or 25 at the next meeting is really a function of the stock market. If we're 42, 4,300, I think we do 50. If we're 4,000 where we're at now or lower, I think we do 25. But really what's important is where's the Fed ultimately going? Are they going to just go to 550 and stop there? That's really no different than 525. But the market is starting to bet on the idea that they might go to 6% by the fall. So for secured overnight uh, financing options, which are going to place LIBOR, are seeing a gigantic rise in open interest in 6% bets, options bets, that the funds rate will be at 6% by the fall. And so a lot of people are starting to think that, no, the Fed's just not going to go one extra rate hike, but they're going to go many extra rate hikes, and they're going to keep going. And that's why I think you're starting to see the stock market wake up to it, and you've started to see short rates, the two-year yield, made a new high yesterday at 472 for the entire cycle. Hey, Jim, so you just mentioned the stock market's starting to wake up to it. We have an S&P 500 that's gone from 4,200 to 4,000 or just below that here. And, you know, again, you know, we went from hard landing, soft landing, no landing, and now all of a sudden we're talking about a 6% Fed funds rate. What do you think the thing is that that's actually going to shock investors this year that are going to cause them to just kind of hit the sell button? And again, I, you know, I'm not saying this. The, the market acts well, despite all of these expectations going higher and rates where they are. But is there something lurking that is going to cause investors to kind of all head for the door at the same time as it relates to a higher rate environment? Well, that's a good question because the market has been acting well. But one market which I think might has not been acting well the last few weeks is the interest rate market. Those rates are starting to move higher. I think they're going to continue to move higher in the back of the Fed, you know, continuing to be very hawkish. And I think investors are going to have to start thinking about the idea that we have a 5% or 6% world. And they're going to have to start thinking about the idea that for the stock market, cash is no longer trash. That was a two decade old meme that doesn't apply. You get 6% in a six month bill by say the fall, you're going to get two thirds of the long term appreciation of the stock market with no risk at all. That is going to provide heady competition for the stock market. That could suck money away from the stock market. Cash could actually be somewhat of an alternative where it was just a waste of time you know, throughout the 2010s. It's no longer that anymore. Jim, always good to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. And Karen, you just made virtually that trade before the show started. Yes. <laughs> While we were sitting here, I'm like, oh, I meant to do that. I mean, the two-year... Right. Yeah. I, uh, so I, I've been adding to that. I bought my first treasury ever at the end of last year. And uh, I think it's worth adding to. It's an excellent risk reward. Yeah. Courtney. Yeah, it's interesting because I think just on a you know a personal level, we are seeing a lot of clients are not investing their cash right now. They are having us consistently add to treasuries. And as they're maturing, the treasuries are now at higher and higher rates. They're saying, yep, just keep reinvesting it and keep reinvesting it. And that is the problem is there is an alternative now. So even if you could theoretically get better returns in the markets, investors aren't willing to do that right now. And it's keeping all that cash on the sidelines on the sidelines. That could continue to happen for quite a while here, which I think was a good point. Guy? Bond moves are getting volatile again, and bond mm-hmm. moves have been the precursor to equity volatility a number of times. And it's amazing that 210 got out to almost 90 basis points. It's come back a bit, but it's going to 1%, I think. I've said it for a while, and I don't know what the world looks like when we get there. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, 5%, 4%, you know, 4%, you know, 4.5%, 3.5%, but it's going to be ugly when it happens. And I don't think the equity market is prepared for it.
Coming up, talk about another trick up your sleeve, what the Apple Watch could soon be tracking and why the news is sending a biotech stock lower. we got the details ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A secret project at Apple reportedly making a big breakthrough. According to Bloomberg, the company has been developing technology to allow for continual glucose monitoring without the need to prick skin and draw blood. The headline sending shares of medical device maker Dexcom plunging by as much as 8% midday. The stock closing about 2% lower here. But imagine if Apple were able to do this in one in 10 Americans are diabetic and can measure their glucose without actually pricking themselves, that would be just revolutionary. It would. I mean, with that, that crossed the tape while we were on our midday yeah. call. You were all over it like an algorithm. Now. Like, <laughs> Dexcom. Dexcom, down. And it was down like $8 who instantaneously. Who's Sydney? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's, but it's been in the works for a long time. So we'll see getting to, getting to this holy grail part is that that's the last big step to take. Sometimes, though, we see companies that threaten somebody else's um, moat, I guess. You know, I think of things like uh, Facebook when they said, oh, we're going to do a dating service now. That oh, never right. happened. Or when we see Amazon, we're going to do a ticketing service now. And Live Nation went down. That never happened. I don't know if this is going to be like that, if this is sort of premature and the hype around it. But, I mean, if we could address diabetes in a much bigger way and all through, you know, we talk about Wagovi and uh, Ozempic all the time, Monjaro, Trizepatide, um, that would really be a great thing for healthcare costs. Two billion, all right? Two billion installed base. That's the iOS installed base right now. So just think about that, right? So they were a billion and a half, you know, like a year and a half ago. I mean, when you think about the ability for this company to kind of bring health, you know what I mean, to their digital devices, and then you throw AI, I'm just saying again, this is going to be part of it. This is not going to be for years. And you think about, we haven't even um, thought about the other wearables that they're going to have coming out over the next five years. So, So again, I mean, this stuff is all really interesting. And the more services that they can overlay to their hardware devices and in the cloud and all that sort of stuff, I mean, this is it's not to invest in right now, but it's great news. There might also be insurance reimbursement for them, which could also open up a whole new market for them in terms of people who will actually buy the watches. Yeah, it's I mean, completely revolutionary. And I think it's just going to bring so many other aspects of what the Apple Watch can do. But I do agree. I think it's premature and not as risky to invest in right now because this report that also came out is rumored. I mean, they weren't even quoting anybody because it's so uh, it's so secretive right now that nobody actually wants to come out and name it. So I don't know how soon this out is in the timeline. I think that's something you have to question in this report. Um, but I hope this comes to fruition. I think this would be amazing. And maybe that's why we saw that bounce in Dexcom guy from down 9% to down 2%. Look at look at you. I mean, you are Melissa AI. I mean, scrap everything else. No, I think that's listen. The, the algorithms and the machines, you know, they read headlines and they do what they need to do. So the move makes sense in today's world, and then the subsequent r- rally back also makes sense. And you know, we've talked about the medical field for Apple seemingly for years here, and they seem to be on the precipice. The real question is, you know, how many years out is that? And you know, what are you paying for right now in terms of valuation? So, you know, I think Apple's a little expensive here in this environment. I don't know if it gets back to 125, but it sees the low 140s again, I think. All right, coming up, Block on the Clock, the company formerly known as Square, gearing up to record earnings tomorrow. So we're checking in on the options pits to see how traders are setting up. We've got the details and Fast Money Returns.
Welcome back. Shares a block higher today ahead of earnings. The company formerly known as Square has outpaced the broader market so far this year, but options traders are betting that could be about to change. Dan's got the action. Yeah, I do. Um, so reports tomorrow <laughs> after the close, the implied move in the option market is about $7, about 10%. The stock on average has moved over the last few years about 8% the day after its earnings. And the most active options today um, were in the March expiration. They were the 72 and a half puts, about 3,000 of them traded, an average about five bucks there. So if you look at that chart right there, there you see there's some overhead technical resistance there. Stock's up 16% of the year, still trades at a fat valuation. They're going to need a beat and a raise to get that thing going. I still prefer PayPal on valuation there. All right. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Guy. Prudential Financial, sister. Courtney. OXY, I'd continue to play the energy play here. Karen. Yes, I am staying short HYG, two ways to win with rates and credit spreads widening. Dan. Yeah, PayPal's starting to get close to my buy level of 70. All right, thanks uh, for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.